Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Jeff Tomei, and welcome to Whatever, Nevermind. Uh, enjoy the interview about Smashing Pumpkins' Siamese Dream. Of course, I have happy to have back on the program Jeff Tomei. Uh, uh, I had you on as a producer of the Jerry Cantrell record. Today, we're talking about Siamese Dream of by the Smashing Pumpkins, of which you were the uh, engineer on. That's correct. Yep, many, many, many years ago. Now, at this point, yeah. Um, well, 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 welcome back. Uh, let's start off with uh, how did you get the the gig? Like, how were you brought in to be the engineer on that project? You know, I was I was really fortunate. I had been working out of a studio in Atlanta called uh, Triclops, and um, and Butch was basically kind of calling around trying to find some places that weren't in New York or L.A. and uh, for many different reasons. And uh, it, it he, he needed somebody to to you know run the studio, and run the board, and stuff. I mean, Butch is a competent engineer obviously but uh it just i mean it worked out in my favor that that i was the guy for that so I, I, again i can't tell you how how fortunate i was that that worked out for me right on uh so that was your first time working with butch then i guess yep yep he uh the, the funny uh, funny little side note story is the guy that that, uh, that managed the studio and owned it uh he got the call when butch was uh checking out studios and and uh, his name is Rick, and he was uh, kind of standoffish, and he said, well, who have you worked with? And Butch mm. said, well, I did Nirvana's Nevermind. And Rick says, oh, that Butch Vig. <laughs> yeah, that one. Oh, I was confused with another one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a nice recovery, if you think about it. Oh, I know. Oh, that one. Okay, yeah, the 20 others that have called Butch Vigs, they weren't you. Um, well, you know, this is largely, you know, especially, I mean, this is your career. So this is all, all these projects are, you know, are your job. Do you, um, do you like the Smashing Pumpkins? Is this an, a record you're a fan of? I'm a fan of the record, but to be honest with you, I didn't have a clue about their music, uh, going into the record. Okay. Nothing. I did, didn't know anything about it. And, um, you know, it was a tough record to make and it took a while. And I, I got to say it was a good solid year before I even listened to the record. Oh boy. <laughs> just, you know, you just get burned out, but I, I listen to it now and it's just like, yeah, that's a pretty good record. I'm pretty happy <laughs> with it. <laughs> Any specific like memories or stories uh, before we get into the, cause I have a bunch of questions regarding that, but anything from your own personal kind of like uh, viewpoint that like that stuck out when you think about this re- album working with any of the members or, or Butch or just the process in, in general, anything at all, really? Let me find Well, out. I mean, with, with Butch, it was just uh, an absolute, uh, uh, just a, a fun record to make because Butch has got that kind of uh, personality about him. He just kind of keeps things light when he can and uh, just super talented. So that was that was awesome. And, you know, same thing can be said with Billy. Billy is an amazingly talented guy. So, so the, the, you know, good memories of just great playing and, and parts and everything on that record for sure. Um, 
you know, uh, we'll maybe get into it at some point, but we had a had a, uh, a blizzard for the south, which is for us, which was really, you know, two, three feet of snow. It was a lot of snow down here. Sure. And th- they shut it down. And I remember calling Butch that morning and saying, we're not going to be able to work. And he said, well, it's just snow because he's from Green Bay area. And, <laughs> you know? uh, and, and I said, no, it's not just snow here. I says, I promise you, you won't be able to get to the studio. And if you get there, you won't be going anywhere for a couple of days. Wow. So that was, uh, you know, that was, what was that, in 93, the first part of 93, I guess it was around March or whenever that big, the famous blizzard of 93 went down. The famous two-foot blizzard. No, so I, it's because you guys don't have snow plows and stuff of that nature, right, or, or the, the road salting equipment. Yeah, that, that's that's the real facts about it. It's like we're not we're not geared for that because it rarely happens, and there's no sense having salt trucks and all that kind of stuff sitting around if we're right. not if they're not going to be used most of the time. I mean, it happens once every fifteen years or so, it seems like. But when it does, it we shut down. There's just nowhere <laughs> to go. There, the people can't. There's no the roads are an impasse because again, we're not really prepared for it. But uh, I, I know it's a funny thing for you northerners. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes a lot for us to, to get the day off from work. Uh, uh, yeah. Not so much from school nowadays anyway. They 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 preemptively call off school like they never did when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, they're just looking at the, the the safety of it, I guess. So it's the safety and the liability. And I don't I don't blame them because sure. there's a lot of lot of lives to be uh, under your wing, I guess you could say. Right on. Well, I I did know the the pumpkins a little bit. Uh, I was fortunate to get into Gish. Uh, it was recommended to me by someone that I worked at the college radio station where I went. Um, we uh, they thought I might like that record, and they they told me you know to start playing it on the show. And I ended up just stealing it and taking it home to listen to it. So I was uh, a little bit anticipating the the follow up to it. Um, it uh, it is clearly a step up in production and songwriting. Uh, I. We we just recorded the episode where where we actually go through the album and break it down, and um, what, one of the things that when I went, I haven't really listened to this record in a long time, but listening back, I think like uh, mentally, my brain was set that Gish was my favorite uh, record. This record is is just amazing. I it's just been so long and so much separation. I just think I had some kind of built in you know bias against it or something like that. But not not I don't know if I'm making any sense there. But yeah. Um, have you gone back to hear any of the like? Did you hear Gish later on, or have you checked out? Yeah, any of stuff? I, that's a that's a brilliant record. I, I I think that record's amazing. And and if you if you if you think about it, as Butch had explained, I mean, it was you know they were on what the indie on Caroline, I think, was a record label, um, which was part of uh, of uh, Virgin uh, was part, but that was like the one of their imprints or whatever, however you want to word it, but. Uh, but no, I think it's a great record. But but that also was kind of like the bar where it's like, okay, well, we know we've got to go and beat that. That was Butch's you know discussion all along. Well, we've got a record that we're proud of that did really well uh, for what it was. And he said, so we got to you know the bar is here now. Yeah, it did. It seemed like reading on some interviews with Billy and Butch, it it some of the pressure on what they needed to do almost seems almost unrealistic because as much as I like Gish that most people really hadn't heard it. So, but the label clearly had some, I don't know, expectations because they kept paying for it. Well, then the, the well, the, the thing with, with Gish is the label, the, you know, the label for what it was in the, in the dollars that went into that one, it was a very successful record. Sure? I think they sold, uh, you know, I don't know how many units. But I think they sold I came across about records. 40,000. Which is, yeah, which is a lot for an independent record. Yeah, it is. and and so it was. And basically, that record was what gave them. How, how do you want to word it? it? Gave them the ability to to take a step up to the major mm-hmm. uh, of of Caroline, which was Virgin. Uh, is it Virgin they were on? Now I'm I'm, I'm losing my mind on that. Um, I, yeah, I, <laughs> you would think I'd have that memorized by this point, but I don't think that's right for some reason. I don't have the. Yeah, it's Virgin. It's Virgin. It is yeah, okay. All right. Yep. Um, I, the only reason I know, because I'm in my office, and I'm not saying this for to, to name drop, but I'm, I had to go look at the record on the wall, and it says Virgin Records. Oh, so, nice. <laughs> um, but that that gave them the. Ability so you have to a platinum that. award, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. They, they, I've got a. You got they, a few they, of them, I suppose. I've got yeah, I've got one for Matchbox. I got several for the Matchbox, which was awesome. And then I got the, the there's the one and the three million, and I don't know where. Siamese Dream is now. They don't really keep up with those kind of things anymore as far yeah. as you getting those records. But, uh, you know, I'll take it. I'm not complaining. Trust me. Well, a quick side note on that. Uh, 
I, I've always been curious, like, do you, does it just show up in a crate at your house one day or do you know yeah. it's coming? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. And, uh, you know, uh, these all, yeah, these kind of showed up. I remember my wife said, there's some big box that came. <laughs> um, uh, I got one for that movie, Qu- uh, Queen of the Dam, the soundtrack for that, that I mixed some songs on. And, and she says, I think it's a, I think it's a gold record. <laughs> Because she knows what the box looks like, so that was pretty awesome. But they, they show up, UPS just drops it off. Uh, I don't know if you if you want to or care, but if you could send, I don't know if, if someone could take a picture of you in front of that, I'd, I'd uh, include that in some of the uh, the show art. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. right on. You can just send it to me via text. But that uh, that's pretty sure. cool. I wasn't even thinking about that. Of course, you got one. Um. Well, uh, let's get into some of the drama that that surrounded this record. Uh, did you know about the whole Darcy and James Eha kind of uh, mess leading into this? Do you, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I was told fairly early on in the project that they had been together. They were, you know, a couple or whatever. And we're no longer a couple, so <laughs> the the uh, the un- underlying tension was already there with that, man. As if there wasn't enough tension, but uh, yeah, that, I found out maybe a week or so, and it, it, you start finding out these things. And Butch was pretty forthcoming, and as as was Billy about you know things like that. So um, you know they they pretty much just went their own paths, kind of there, other than the basic tracking, because that's how we would do it. We'd track everybody, and then really just go for the. Uh, it was all on two-inch tape. Really, just go for the uh, drum edit and get the drum master take down, and build it from there. Okay. Oh, th- explain the significance of it being on two-inch tape versus a different tape. Is, is there something I don't know? No, uh, it's just it, it's multi-track, twenty-four track. Uh, t- I just say that because that's what I came up on is doing is working off of, okay. you know tape base and, and editing tape and doing actual razor blade edits which in that era that's all we had i mean pro tools was not was kind of in its infancy i didn't have a clue about that so so it was that the, the um a palette a, a palette of of uh reels of two inch tape which there were i think there were 45 reels of them showed up when we started that record that's a lot of tape yeah wow a lot um. of tape so so that's that, and that's how we did it. We we tracked with them live, all in in, in one room, and uh, with the guitars and bass isolated, that kind of thing. But uh, and really just go for a, a master take on Jimmy's drums. Well, let's talk a little bit about Jimmy as a drummer then, because uh, I mean he's got a really good reputation as a drummer. But this would have been like only his second time, you know, uh, recording a a full album or, or something like that in a studio, and and the first time with a big budget. What was he like to work with? Was he uh, a quick? Uh, you know, record or what, did it take a lot of takes or? No, he, he was he was he was very quick and 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 he was he was a pro at that point, man. He was he was comfortable in the studio. I didn't get any indication that there was any kind of nerves with that. Hmm. Uh, you know, there were some songs that were a little more of a struggle because it's a you know what the the issue would not issue, but we we would get those songs. We'd find a tempo that felt good and we'd start the count off with a click track. If and and then we'd stop it and they'd play so everything was played live. It's not really played to uh, to any kind of click track, which is pretty common today. Um, but Butch, being a drummer himself, wanted the tracks really solid and tight. So it took a it was a lot of editing. Not because Jimmy was not a competent drummer, it's because that's Butch wanted the really super tight record. You know, timing wise. When you say editing, so he's he's taking parts of multiple uh, uh, takes. Well, yeah, that, I mean that that was that was a given. With that, we we'd build a. He'd uh, he'd kind of script it out on paper, you know, uh, use the intro from take three, <laughs> cut the first verse from take five, and and again you're juggling two inch tape back and forth. So he'd give me that that uh, legend as it were, and then I'd put it together. And then once we knew we had a master take of it, then it'd be like, okay, now we need to tighten up the drums. And he'd say, okay, that snare's a little bit late right there. Make it early, <laughs> so you cut a chunk of tape out, you know, Gee, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it got pretty scientific because he he would find a he'd find the bars a bar or two that felt good and said that's whatever that tempo is that's what the whole song needs to be and so we pretty much cut tape like you do now with Pro Tools and moving things around where it would you know be a solid you know drum take it's got some life in it it's not perfect because it wasn't played to a click track but it's pretty it's pretty tight. Right on. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, the drums are. Are uh, well. First of all, there's not a lot uh, I can pick apart at the production of this record. I, I do have one small critique we'll get to here, um, but uh, the drums definitely aren't it. They they are a mac. And he, the the thing about um, Jimmy that kind of stuck out was that 
his style of drumming was not really in vogue for grunge. You know, I mean, no, uh, even having that kind of that size of a kit and the fact that it worked well with the pumpkins. I don't know. I think it says a lot. I mean, uh, I, I think uh, I, I have a lot of respect for him as a drummer. He, he, I do too. He's a, he is a, he's a fan of big band music and swing and that kind of, and that kind of stuff. And it shows in his playing because you can, every swing also means how you, you know, the groove with the mm-hmm. drums. So, so he was, he was a student of that. So he knew how to really make it feel good. It, but I, that on that aside, he was, he and Reed Mullen of Corrosion Conformity were two of the hardest hitting drummers I've ever worked with. Okay. Just pounders just beating them up but but accurate so um and again it's it's nice because it was recorded to tapes tape there's a lot of of nice tape compression and 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 things that go on that don't go on nowadays with digital recordings that make things more pleasing to the ear uh you know a little back to a little bit of the drama because jimmy had some of his own um were you aware that some of the, the drug issues that he was dealing with, like that, the, what I read from from both Butch and Billy, is that they went to Atlanta, largely to stay out of a big city like New York, and also to get away from Chicago, because they were worried about you know Jimmy's friends and drug dealers being around. Do we, no, that that's ahead. true. That that's true. In, in in an interview that Butch had given years ago. It was like well within you know 24 hours he knew all the all the hookups <laughs> in Atlanta so so it didn't really matter but I, I will share this with you that that's, it seems like because of of those issues we were we would basically we track two songs at a time we'd work on one couple of songs to about 80 percent done and then move on that way it wasn't like okay the drums are done after two weeks now you can go just do what you want we didn't do it that way I was literally going to ask uh, not not for that reason but like you know. You know, did he just disappear once the drums were done, or were the drums recorded across the the recording? So that that was he, actually he done to help keep him uh, keep him uh, clean, huh? Oh, but go ahead. He said he would well, disappear. Yeah, he had his disappearing days. I, I think the longest stretch. I think he was he, he didn't show up for about five days. And of course, we had things we could work on, obviously, but it uh, it didn't <laughs> sit too well with Billy. So and it was like uh, which pre- obviously you know we're trying to make a record. There's a, there's money being spent, a lot of money. Yeah. And this is pre-cell phone, so there's like, you know, yeah. you, you can't even like, the guy won't even answer his phone. You, you, so I suppose you, you don't even know where he's at, huh? Uh-uh. No, he just, yeah. So so that was that was one way. And, you know, in tracking the record also, we had we, we did a lot of uh, extra music, uh, which some of it wound up on the that uh, B-side record, Pisces Iscariot. Mm-hmm. We did, I think we tracked, and my memory could be off, but it, it was, I think it was 25, 26 songs, uh, and some of them would just start off with Billy playing something on a Mellotron and Jimmy playing drums wow. and just turn it into a song. Some of it was just jamming and some of it never saw the light of day, but a good bit of it did. I think there's 14 songs on Siamese Dream and then I think there's four or five on Pisces that that uh, that were from that session, too. So um, pretty, uh, pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, numbers for, yeah. for doing that many songs. So, um, well, and Billy, uh um, well, you know what, before I get into that, uh, did, how were you like working with Billy? Did, did you spend a lot of time interacting with the members of the band or was it largely through Butch? No, it, we, we interacted. I mean, it's just, it's like every record you get, you get in tight with these guys and you get in really tight with them. You can't help but because you're, you're there with them for 14, 16 hours a day. And the last month we didn't take a day off. So yeah, no, I, I got to, I got to know him really well. I mean, you get, you can't help but get in tight with these people. He was, he was a, uh, you know, he was a taskmaster. He knew what he wanted. He didn't, didn't waste time. We didn't have chit chat time when we were working, we were working. So wow. he, he had a very good uh, idea of what he wanted the record to be like. He was ready. So as far as working, he was not an, that big of an issue or anything like that. He could be a challenge. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> he could be a challenge, but so can so can a lot of artists you work with. I mean, we all have our moments, Jeff. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. And again, we're working on tape. We're we're you know, it's not Pro Tools. Oh well, I missed that punch. I'll just fix it in Pro Tools. Mm. It's just like, oh, you got to be on every time. You can't screw this up. Yeah. And and the common knowledge is is that he played most everything on the record, other than drums. So it was me and Billy and Butch most of the time, most of the record, other than the basic tracking when, like I said, everybody tracks together. 
Well, Billy's talked a lot about his mental state leading up the, to the writing and recording of the record. Uh, did did he seem, I don't know, for lack of a better term, suicidal? He's he's mentioned it. No, he didn't seem that way, but he, he was he was there was a lot of anxiety you could tell there was okay. a lot of there was a lot on him uh, somebody th- th- the age he was then or myself too but um at the age he was that that's a lot of lot of stress and pressure to put on somebody so you could tell there was a lot of pressure on him and but, but i didn't get this i didn't get anything I, and i know he's mentioned it and i know he has had those moments but not not that i know of making that record right now i'm asking for your perspective you know and uh, sure um the what with darcy uh you know, kind of him filling in and taking over on. Let, let's let's start with her. Uh, did did, she, did were you there to like see her try to do anything and it just wasn't working? Or yeah, the the the, the way it typically worked out in, in my memory uh, after the tracking, then we we'd get the drums, put those together, make a master take, and then we go to move on the bass. And Billy would be in the control room. Darcy would come in and he'd have her play through the song one time or so just to kind of get the vibe that whatever and then he'd say all right give me the bass and that was it then, wow. he, then he put the bass tracks on uh that was that was standard you know operating for that that record <laughs> did she play in anything i i you know and i i don't know why it sticks in my memory i think there was one song i think luna i think that's one that she's actually she actually played bass on um and I don't remember why, so I could be wrong, but it, I don't know why it sticks in my mind that there was one song on that record she played on. And she actually sang a couple little small harmony parts, but for the most part, you know, just like just like with James, James probably put 5% of the guitars on, okay. you know. It's it's almost all him. But, you know, in, in fairness to Billy, Billy knew what he wanted. He, he was ready to make the record, and I don't know that that, that was the same with, the, with those two, so. Yeah, I... Look, I've never approached that level of recording, but I I have recorded five albums. Um, I know what it's like to work with people. I being I've never not been there when something was happening, you know. But it's kind of being the the singer and the the songwriter. It it kind of it's it's almost required. Where other people would be, I just want to do my stuff and then leave. Yeah. um, and so I, I get it, especially if you're trying to really create the specific thing. How much time are you going to fuck around with with someone that clearly doesn't seem to have the same level? Oh, well, let's just say ability or commitment. Who knows what it, it is? You know what I mean? Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I've never really harped on him too much for that. It wasn't like he brought in Steve Vai to replace G, you know James Hia. It's still the uh, a member of the Pumpkins playing it. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know th- there were um, there were a couple of times when there would be a part, and, and the conversation was, well, that part doesn't work. I told you months ago that part didn't work, and it'd be, oh, well, that's the part I have. Okay, well, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so uh, were they ready? I, I just don't I don't know how prepared they. Were. He was super prepared, but again, he's the song, songwriter, singer, and all that. So yeah. so he should be, but you know, I, I again I. I look back on it as, you know, you did what, for any record, you do what you have to do to get the record done. Because yeah. the label doesn't care about any of that stuff. They just want a record done. Sure. Hey, I, I, I thought of something when you were talking about the drum master track. So let's, you, you get them all in the room together. You record the, the whatever, the, the, the three or four. Like how many, well, that's, a, that's maybe I'll start there. So like, let's say we'll start with one song, Cherub Rock or whatever. It doesn't have, doesn't have to be that one, but. Typically, how many drum takes would you would you record, but that you would end up splicing from? Well, uh, on a on a reel of, of two inch tape, you depending on the length of the song, you can get three or four takes on there. So you know there may have been may have been three reels full. There may have been nine takes. I don't know specifically, but mm-hmm. yeah, like like uh, but there were definitely multiple takes that were that were cut between. Um, to make a master of it, so it just depends on the song, how many takes. But uh, you know, um, and they weren't specific. They weren't necessarily because okay, well, that's it. Maybe because it didn't feel right, or the arrangement's not sure. exactly where it needs to be. That kind of stuff. But, but I think that was pretty. That was pretty standard as far as you know. Just throw up another reel. Let's do another couple takes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm asking really more for kind of the geeky nerd end of like uh, of this stuff. Not, not to be critical of of Jimmy, that's for sure. Sure. Um, so then Butch listens back, and how long does it take for him to listen to all the takes and make his notes? Well, and see, that's people say, how, did, how does it take so long to make a record? Okay, well, 
you do it you, you get the takes down so say you did three reels of takes you got nine you have nine takes of that all right then then you have to go through each one take notes pick out what part so that's you know you're talking about mm-hmm. a day you're right talking yeah. about a solid to day me it sounds very arduous that. yeah it is it'd and almost then, be easier then, just say jimmy play it 40 <laughs> more times and we're just gonna get one good one <laughs> yeah but but here but here's the thing is again butch is a solid drummer and 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 what he it's so subjective what he's hearing uh, and what he wants to get out of something might not be it may have felt fine the whole take but mm-hmm. it's just not it's not record worthy in, in in butch's mind i guess and oh you know, I, i'm not suggesting that i'm right i'm just like oh yeah yeah i, I, I love I the the breaking this thing down so it's it's you know and and then you know so then you Okay, so the, so he gets his his legend charted out, and depending on what time of day it is, I'll start cutting on that. But you know, that's a you know to put the master together, that's another couple of hours, depending on how many takes we have to go through to make a master. Once we get it together, then you take then you spend another couple hours trimming it down, saying, okay, that snare's a little little late. Let's make that feel better in the pocket. Let's make it a little early. So so you're looking at probably two days there. So, so the, the initial did. trim down, like when he gives you your notes, you can do that in a couple hours. Yeah, I could. I got where I could put together master tape pretty quick. I've been cutting by that point. Fortunately for me, I'd been cutting tape for a good, you know, ten years in in studios because that's all that's what we had and that's what we knew. So I'd gotten pretty good at, and quick on that. <laughs> and then it was the fine tuning stuff that, that that took a little more time, right. you know, uh, until get just to get it to feel right from top to bottom. So. In, in both times we've talked, I don't know if you remember, but I've I've all of a sudden stopped and taken like a sideways thing into this tape trimming thing. It just, it, <laughs> uh, man, I'll tell you what, if I'm ever in Atlanta, I'm going to look you up and you can give me a demonstration. I just. <laughs> well, I don't ever want to cut tape again because Pro Tools <laughs> is so much so easy. And if I if I think about it now, I think, how did we do that? That's, yeah. it's, it's pretty, it was pretty, in, you know, involved. But if it's all you, you know, that's how you make a record. That's what it was for us. It was like, okay, that's how you make records. Um, well, a little bit about uh, a question about Butch. Uh, now, see, you kind of have quite a bit of drama going on between. It doesn't sound like Billy's personal issues were affecting the recording too much, so we'll, we'll skip that. But you got Jimmy with with all that stuff, and then of course Darcy and James not really getting a chance to play, and then of course kind of not really, you know, they're not not really wanting to talk to each other either. This seems kind of chaotic considering all the, all this stuff. What, what was Butch's demeanor like during all that? Well, and as was saving grace to it, Butch, Butch took the whole other tact. It's just like, I'm just going to be laid back and chill. And I don't think he's trying to be that way. That's just how, that's the Butch I know. Yeah. He just, he was completely the opposite. Billy could get intense and then more intense and, and angry about some things he would get. The, the calmer Butch got and the more like, okay, well, we'll make this happen. You know, it was, he was just super chill with most things. So, so it wasn't like, to me, it was, it was a good middle ground because if it were on both sides, all that, you know, anxiety and all that pressure, it would have been even harder to record to make than it already was. Hmm. It was a good balance, basically. It was a great balance. He knew how to, he knew how to, how to, you know, bring, bring Billy down a notch when he needed to, just by being, you know, Butch being just chill and, and okay, let's make this happen. Let's do this. Let's try this, that kind of thing. Instead of getting there and play it and it better be good. (laughs) What, uh, what kind of thing would set Billy off? Like what, like what would he get angry about? It just depends. We, I, I remember uh, one specific thing where, again, this is on tape, so everything you do, you're punching in, punching out, and he's playing a bass track. And, and there was one spot that was a tough spot to get, and we probably punched in 30 times in that spot. And and then, you know, the 30th time I, I was late on the punch and missed it, he said, are you going to make me play this all day? <laughs> like, like it was me so that you, was slowing up the process. Yeah, you, you you fucked it up at at that point though. <laughs> yes, yeah, I did. And then he said that I had a pencil in my left hand. I was about to snap it in two. Like, mm. <laughs> oh. But you know that's that's part of it too. You, 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 that's what it's it's like a quick it's like a, a four or five month marriage with making records. You're in there that tight with people for that amount of time, and then then the breakup at the end. The record's done. Okay, we're breaking up. So, so spending all this time, did you? Did, did, was there ever like a day or or a dinner or maybe like I don't know, going bowling or something that, that you would no. spend with them outside? No, uh-uh. the, the, uh, one exception. I think 
we had a, a, a cookout one day. The, the Vince was like, uh, I forget Vince's last name, but he was like Billy's right hand guy. He, he did the guitar teching. He did the running. He did everything. Okay. Was Billy's Billy's guy. And uh, we were working one weekend and, and they decided there was a back patio out the back of the studio or really it's just a loading dock and decided they were going to have a barbecue with with uh, brats and stuff like that. So but I mean, we were working around that. It wasn't like we stopped for three hours. you know. Yeah. So while Vince was cooking, once it was ready, then we had our lunch and that was it. But for the most part, you know, everybody was kind of, all right, we'll take a 15 minute break. Let's grab a sandwich real quick. Right there on. was there was not a lot of free time. Okay. Uh, um, let's get into the record a little bit. Now, I, you mentioned it yourself. I've, I've read leading up to this too that the days would be like 12 to 14 hour days. Is that 12 to 14 hours for you as well? Well, there's there's more than that because I'd get there before. I, I always say being an engineer is like being in the Marine Corps. You're the first in and last out. Sure. That's what I've, is the comp quote I've always heard. So so you're there, you know, hour before and if you're having to make rough or whatever things at the end. So but, you know, so the days could be, you know, solid 16 or 18 sometimes. It just, you know, that it's a it's a definitely a career field. And it was better for a, a younger guy that I was then and having that energy because there's this long hours, long days. I, I used to say, you know, if, if you think about somebody that works an eight hour job, if they went in at the end of their eight hour job, they were told they had to work another eight hours. People would say, what? You're crazy. But it wasn't <laughs> anything for us to work those kind of hours. It's just, that's what engineers did. That's what making a record was about. You put in a lot of hours. Most studios book by the day and, and they don't yeah. necessarily limit the hours. And, and so it's just like, let's get as much done as we can. You know, you don't ever thought the, about that. I think for for the artist, it probably isn't that big a deal. They're into it. They're always connected to it. You know, with, with a certain amount of uh, emotion and, and passion, but not necessarily the people doing all the work. That uh, that would that would be uh, that. That's a very fair. I think it's a valid comparison. It's like somebody working a regular job, working eight and saying, "I need you to do another eight and then do it well, the rest of the week too." An, another analogy, and it, it still goes on to this day. Say, say I have a band in the studio today, and there's five guys. Mm -hmm. So we get a drum track, and then I put it together of whatever edits and Pro Tools. Then the bass player standing behind me, ready to go. When he's done, then the guitar player is ready for his rhythm, and the lead player is ready. And so I was like, there is no, there aren't any breaks for the unless you just. I do it at my age now. I said, no, no, we're taking a 15 minute break or whatever. But then it's like everybody's waiting in line to keep going, and and so the guy in the chair is still in the chair the whole time. The uh -huh. bass player's done. He's sitting in the lo you know, lounge watching television or something. So, yeah. you know, that kind of vibe. But again, I'm not complaining. It's a chosen, it was my chosen profession. And it's just like it's, there's a lot of work. People don't realize what kind of work goes into to making a record. So, what are James and Darcy doing during this time? Uh, in the lounge watching television most of the time. <laughs> no, seriously, that was that was it. No, I believe, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, what would they do? I mean, like I said, the, the, the few times that James. Uh, put a part on or, or played a part he did play one of the intro guitars to mayonnaise which was a, a challenge in itself because it mm. was a cheap pawn shop guitar he, he insisted on playing and the intonation was terrible so we pretty much spent a whole day pretty much spent 12 hours to get that one intro part well wow. and you're just talking at the very beginning there not that yes. squeaky thing that goes yeah. through there just that clean yep yep wow. um well, you brought up mayonnaise, possibly my favorite track on the record. Uh, let me you, that, that you, you, I, you have to know that high pitched squeal I'm talking about between a little, eep, eep, you know, another another pawn shop guitar. It was called a Kimberly, I think it was that Billy was playing, and the pickups were just microphonic. So we had him play in front of his cabinet, and he could control that feedback. But that's it; it's just feeding back through the pickups in those stops. I um, I listened to it uh, in preparation for this, and I, I, I specifically listened to that part. It is amazing how because I assume that there there's some layers to it. The, the rumor is that there's hundreds of guitar tracks in this thing. Um, either way, but the fact that it's very consistent, perfectly timed, but also slightly different every time is amazing to me. Well, it's it's definitely, and, and the rumors of a hundred tracks have been greatly exaggerated. There are a lot <laughs> of tracks, but but but, and, and that was probably doubled, maybe a triple of that. But that's him play. I mean, again, this is this is not Pro Tools. And once you get the drums edited, you don't can't edit the guitars. They either mm -hmm. have to fit or they don't. So that's Billy and Billy's talent playing and making that that work. 
um, and and then locking in and getting the double track to that. The, you know, and a lot of it was always through some sort of pedals, and and the big muff was his his you know main pedal, and those are noisy. Yeah. They're loud, they're gainy, they're noisy. So so uh, rather than like I keep going to Pro Tools because that's how I work in now, yeah. where you can just say I'll just clean this up from here before he started playing. Well, this was like you had to keep the mutes on on the microphones till downbeat there so everything stayed clean because you know again that's how you did it then so the the noise and the the volume level of, of the big muff rhythm guitars was just crazy so that part was that guitar was used just to make that noise no that guitar he's playing the whole rhythm okay on there, okay it, yeah. all right all right no no that that's it that's him playing but that's him hitting those stops like that and working that that microphonic pickup to, to that feedback you know he just he basically played the feedback in the holes which is great he's playing the whole thing on those and i, I don't know i don't know if it was in vogue for 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 in alternative bands or whatever you want to call them back then but but it seemed like a lot of them would come through playing just the crappiest <laughs> yeah it definitely was in vogue yeah through, through good amps but they played and i'm thinking that the one that james played was called a kingston never heard of it in my life it, he said i paid 85 dollars for it yeah i can tell <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing and then billy plays the kimberly but that's a signature that's signature in that song everybody talks about that mayonnaise that song uh, it's so. it's such a killer tune um yeah, any chance mayonnaise was a working title that he just never came up with anything better Th- that i don't know it was always mayonnaise um I don't know the 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 one interesting footnote is is we were jamming on on just like a one of the little B-side jams or whatever mm-hmm. and you know we're we're using track sheets back then and labeling stuff so right, Billy what's this song called and he said he said melancholy and the infinite sadness oh really which became the album yeah. title and yeah had no relation to that but that was the title and that, when that record came out that one I was like oh that was that B-side song Oh, so do you, you remember? Title. Do you remember what uh, B side? What what did that ever get? I released? think it was one of the throwaway throwaway ones that never never saw the light. Of day. Okay, all right. I think. I mean, again, I, I could be, but I, I don't think it ever made. I think he just threw that title out. But yeah, back to mayonnaise. That was it. Was always called mayonnaise. Hmm. It was always cherub rocket. It was always today. It was always rocket. I don't know any of them became. Whereas on that corrosion record I was telling you I did, they were all working titles. When the record came out, I said, I don't know any of these songs. <laughs> the, wait, even to be, when it was done, huh? Like they still had. Well, like when to, it was done, I said, yeah, I remember. No, that no, no. Record, I mean the I, recording of it. Uh, yes. Yeah. Crazy. Oh man. Well, I, I got a question about disarm that's very specific. You know that the big that um. It's like an underlying cello kind of that uh, goes through the verses. Do you remember? That's what it is. Oh damn it, I, <laughs> Jeff! I, I had I, I had myself convinced that it was actually like you know a layered acoustic picking that just because you built so many up that there was like this cello kind of sound to it, but it was an actual cello, huh? I know there's well, other yeah. strings on it, but. Well, the acoustic the acoustic is doing the picking, but but the, what you're hearing that's a that's a cello, and and the the interesting thing about that song is that it was only it was a violin player and a cello player. Okay. The cello player was a friend of Billy's from Chicago. The violin player at that time was was the violin player in the band Kansas, and uh, uh, David Ragsdale was his name. And so he, they came in, and and there weren't any charts. Usually with string players, you got to write charts. Billy said it was guitar. The good thing about David Ragsdale, because he was a rock guy, he could take what Billy was doing and chart it out. So he charted it out for the cello player and for him. Hmm. And we used a whole, I don't know if you're familiar, but you have an A reel, a master reel, then you have a B reel that you lock together. And you, so that gives you 48 tracks you, typically. Um, well, we went to a C reel because we needed to have room for the string. So we put a, took a mix to one of the 24 tracks, just a stereo hmm. mix. We probably did 20 overdubs on the strings. It's a lot of layers. Because it's two guys, and we wanted to make it sound like a orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of layers. That was uh, a song on first spin that I knew was going to be gigantic. I mean, it's just it it it's just too good. Well, we knew from we knew from early on that, and Butch said it from day almost day one that Chair Brock was going to be the first single, mm-hmm. without a doubt. No matter what, and usually that's not really said. Usually, you just kind of see how the songs shape up. Oh, really? Okay. What seems like the best. Uh, on a lot of times, sometimes people go in with preconceived notions, but that was always going to be it. So even added pressure to making that <laughs> that song really stand out it was like, this is going to be the first single. Okay, hmm. it better be great then. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's good enough that I'm sick of it, and I think it's a brilliant tune. So, <laughs> the, the, yeah, that that one did kind of it got a lot of play. Um, I, my, Rocket's my favorite song on the record, which really? I don't think oh. it ever became quote a single, but because um, there was today, which we knew that was going that was what they wanted for the first single. The record label really said that's too pop. Yeah, nope, that's not us. Not to start with, and then it became a single in Disarm. I forget there were probably three. Or at least three singles I know of off that record. So, yeah, I mean, those are definitely definitely those three. I'm not sure beyond that. Um, um, I, today never really connected with me. At the same time, I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's like I can separate my personal taste from it and still accept that I get why people love this tune. This is just so perfectly written, and it's it's not easy to say something as simple as today is the greatest and also make it that kind of relatable and, and, and with that hook, you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. And that one was, that was interesting in, in the texture in that we've cut, we cut between two different kind of drum sounds. We had it for the verses. It's a real dry. We dried the drums up and had them in real small, smaller kind of space. And then, so we did takes where the choruses are, the rooms opened up and it's big, you know, rock and roll bottom kind of room. And it's not that ex- extreme on the record, but I do remember that being cut together like that. And so they um, were tracked differently. Um, yep. And that's just one of you, you going doing, making the, the master track magic that you do. Yep. Let's take the live, the more live drums. They're going to be the chorus. They're going to cut those in there. So, um, and that, uh, that amp, that clean amp, is some this piece together thing that one of the techs at the studio owned, and uh, hmm. and that became that that signature kind of clean sound there on on the the main one, on the intro and the verses of that. And the guitars have just such a beefy low end, low end, but they're it's not quite that uh, stoner rock thing that we're, we're more familiar with now, but it, it's kind of leaning that way. I assume that has a lot to do with the the big muff that you were talking about. It absolutely does, and, and uh, because there's yeah, there's that that just lends itself to that, and then it's taped too, so that it's got that bump in the low mids, and then when we, I do recall we put putting the bass on, Billy says, I don't care if you can hear the note definition, I just need more weight, more weight, more weight. That's what he kept saying. <laughs> so it was all about having that. So the bass also carries a, a whole lot of that too. But the guitars, yeah, they're they're pretty beefy sounding. The 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 most tracks, guitar tracks. I recall was the song called Hummer, uh-huh. and and it's not because there's that many just are playing at the same time, but there were a lot of layers and and, and overlaps and stuff like that. So um, tape can be a challenge because you don't have these endless tracks like you do now. It's yeah. like okay, we got to plan this out. I, I love Hummer, by the way. That's a killer tune. That's a great song. I told I told Butch when they left. I said this is going to take you a week to mix this one. He says nah, and then he sends me a. A fax back in the fax days, and he said, "He said we've been working on Hummer for five days because <laughs> <laughs> it's just dense. There's a lot of, lot of tracks on that. What's he doing sending faxes? You got to get in there and mix this. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's my one critique, and maybe you can give me lend, lend some insight because it's it seems like it's probably what they wanted, but to me the vocals sound there's a little tin to it. It, it I and I'm not." I know Billy's voice isn't something that people like. I enjoy his voice. I just think this record, compared to the other ones, it just there's a little kind of like I don't know. The best way I can describe it, and so don't get mad at me. I'm just I'm just trying to describe what I hear. Is it sounds like a cheap microphone was used. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you Billy's one of his comments early on was his. Is there anybody in the music business that has less bass in their voice than me? <laughs> that was his critique oh, on really? himself. Okay. And and we and also the you know the vocals are are doubled through everything even in most songs even in the verses, um, but we used a dynamic mic which you know typically mm-hmm. people use a tube mic or a condenser. We used a SM7 on his vocals because that seemed to fit him better than a, we had a tube 47 that sounded great. But um, and and those are only good if you just eat the mic and and you get the proximity effect. So again, it's 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 a lot of characteristics of. of his voice and then probably a little bit to do with the mic choice or whatever. But, uh, again, and it's all doubled. So, mm-hmm. so you ask, you know, people again, how do you, how do you take so long making a record? Well, say you do a vocal. Okay. You're doing, say you do 10 takes of a vocal and then you have to comp it, put it together, like the composite. And then you have to go back. And if you're going to build a double, then you've got to build a double. So that's like two days in the making right there. Wow. 
So time goes by fast. Yeah, and, and I'm being hypercritical with that. I, I overall, this is a. I mean, this is a a, a, a record that I absolutely adore. But uh, um, well, let's get a little bit to some of the the, the tracks here. Are there any songs that uh, that looking back that 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 really were fun to record, or anything particular that you you like an anecdote to share about recording it? Well, I, I you know most of them were. I think all of them were fun to record in, in a challenge. But there's there's a song on the record called Sweet Sweet. Uh, I can't remember. It's one of the later tracks. Yeah, it's like and second to last. It was. It came off a four-track cassette uh, deck. Okay. Where Billy, that's his demo. So we took the. He had two acoustic guitars. We redid the vocals, but he had two. The two acoustic guitars. I'll clarify that. Came off of that, and because he wanted to use that, he said that feels good. I want that. So we bounced the out of a cassette player onto two tracks on a on a twenty-four track uh, tape machine. And, and built it off of that. Again, it's a real simple song. There's not anything to it other than the guitars and the vocals. I think there's a, I don't remember if there's a Mellotron. I might be thinking of Soma but or Luna. But either way, it was uh, it was interesting that, you know, you're doing this big budget record, but then you're going to take one song and it's just going to be demo acoustic guitars off a cassette deck. No, this is a slightly better uh, uh, four track than like those task cams that were a couple hundred bucks from the time. No, right? that's pretty much what it was. Come no. on. No, I, that's, it wasn't. Yeah, that's pretty I much I never it was. got it anything just... close to sonically clean as that. <laughs> it was It was one of those Porta Studio, whatever they call them. I yeah, forget the what man. Wait, I think it was something similar to that. Yeah, fuck uh, which, that. Which to take a, a little little uh, left turn is. is uh, Jerry Cantrell had bought one of one of those little cheap cassette things because he wanted to work on songs when we were making the record with him. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, we've got the studio. We can, you know, <laughs> why are we doing this on a four track cassette? Or why are you? I wasn't part of it. He'd take it home with him and work on stuff, which made sense. But anyway, that's where those guitars came from. Wow. But the argument could be made, you know, the Stone Street Fight Man. That's exactly what they did with that one. That yeah. was Keith recording into a cassette deck, and they'd bounce those to tape and, and overdub. That's where those acoustics are coming from. Yeah, I remember uh, when I first started learning Pro Tools, which I still I, – I, I probably have 3% of what it can actually do is what I can actually make it do. That's probably right. a lot more than the Beatles had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, people, you know, Pro Tools is just what the medium we work in now. And, and yeah. I said, you know, people say, well, what, what if the Beatles – what if this has been around during the Beatles? I said they would have used it. I said they were cutting edge oh, on what they did for technology. They would have jumped all over it. You're kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were looking for anything, man. Um, you know, uh, the the song Soma that you mentioned just a minute ago, um, the the music at the very beginning of that, I'm, I'm, and I'm speaking sonically, is just recorded immaculately. And, and, and I know this whole record is really well produced, but... There's just something so smooth and and clean and pleasant when you listen to that. It's I don't know I don't know if there was any trick there, but I, that's one that sticks out for me. It's just it's just a vibe. It, it is such a chill chill vibe on the song anyway. Yeah. It's just you know it's just again it's capturing that emotion, which is why it's important. I I still think to this day it's important if you can if the band can track everything live, even if you don't keep anything but the drums. Then they still have a certain feel. It's better to keep everything you can, but anyway, it's you know it's all about the feel. That song just sets a, a great emotion, I think, too. Any stories about like some unconventional recording method? I mean, uh, as we're speaking, um, the, the we we just learned that the, the passing of Eddie Van Halen last night. He was known for just destroying guitars and putting them back together. Is and doing a lot of kind of weird stuff. He used a drill, you know, at the to, at the beginning of a, a song yeah. in the eighties. Anything kind of out of the box, something where you just kind of you basically in in the process of recording the the album, it was invented for. Yeah, the um, um, and it wasn't on. It was on Pisces Iscariot, but it was cut during that session. It was a song called Piss Ant. Okay, and the drum sound on that is our drums through a microphonic pickup and a guitar. If you, that you can listen to them, and they just kind of have you. It, it, you check the song out when you have time. Yeah, it's, that we used basically. I used a guitar as a as a microphone. Cause wow. the pick, and it's that same guitar, it's that Kimberly that Billy played on Mayonnaise. It was just so microphonic, so we set it up in the room like a room mic for the drums. That's amazing. And it just sounded so nasty and just so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so lo-fi. So, um, and uh, 
there's the, the sitar uh, sitar is uh, was a choral sitar, which is the electric version of one. But Billy had a real one. He bought it in, uh, but we never even took it out of the case. We looked at it. Oh, that's interesting. Boy, it's big. Do you know how to play it? No. Okay. So it was there for a uh, vibe, I guess. So was during the recording process, is there any type of this? I'm, and this this album in particular sticks out to me because it seems so involved. Although the last record I talked to you on took forever to record too. But uh, is there any downtime for you just being, uh, as, as the engineer, do you get kind of a little bit of a break while they're they're muddling through something? Or No, there, uh, there, there wasn't... Uh, there wasn't any work these things up. They did. They did know their arrangements enough. Mm-hmm. Everybody, but there, there was never. Uh, there wasn't that. I, I take that back. The only downtime we had was they came in to do some sort of uh, interview. MTV was going to interview them, and I don't know if I'd shared this story before, but uh, when we were talking prior. But anyway, um, there were uh, they were going to dress up in these costumes. The band was that looked like the Three Little Pigs <laughs> had these big kind of paper mache heads, giant heads. Well, if if you there's a there's a DVD out called Euphoria. Yeah, that's that's on that. That's me and Butch wearing the pig heads and, and standing by the console because the band refused to wear them the day it happened because they'd gotten in an argument the night before. Jesus. So Butch just hands me one here. <laughs> so they're playing. We're playing back the song today and. And, and dancing around in the control room with pig heads on. But uh, but then they had some guy do this kind of tongue-in-cheek interview with them. And, and uh, so we come out there in that video with the pig heads on, bringing them water, that kind of just cheesy stuff. But but that's the closest thing to a break that we would get. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I guess I got to check. See, that came up during the, the album discussion, and uh, I got sent the link to the, the video for that. So I'll be watching that soon. So, hey, I'll know. The, hey, that's Jeff uh, right there. Uh, <laughs> well, the first thing most people ask me is, what is that shirt you're wearing? I said, I don't know. I don't care. Right on. Well, I, I'm not looking for a lot of salaciousness, more kind of like f- – in hindsight, it's kind of funny kind of sure. stuff. Was there any kind of like, you know, blow up between anybody, the members of the band I'm talking about that, uh, that like I said, I, I, I'm not really looking for dirt, just more kind of stuff that everybody kind of laugh off after 20 years. Well, that, the, you know, that night, but prior to the, the pig day, the pig head day, um, <laughs> the three little pigs was, was he and Darcy and, and just having a row. And, and, uh, uh, that's when we kind of knew that that wasn't gonna, um, the, what them ha- being in a great mood the next day to that's do when you're like and i'm gonna have to wear that fucking pig head aren't i <laughs> well i, I remember <laughs> butch and i were in the control room when when they he and darcy were having it out uh outside of it and butch says uh let's go in mark's office mark was one of the uh owners of the studio and he said and butch called him a frosty that was a beer he said mm. let's go into mark's office and grab a frosty this is going to be a while so we sat in there drinking beer and just thinking, all right, well, when this is over, I guess we'll go home or we'll finish what we're doing or whatever. Oh, man, it's it's those goddamn Scotties always wanting their beers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in Minnesota, frosty. if you remember. But, yeah, so, yeah, there we uh, we have a love-hate relationship. But no, that's uh, – well, I I got caught up on my, my fucking stupid Scotty joke there. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Billy and Darcy you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did Darcy? Did, I'm trying to put my my myself in the position of Darcy. Did she ever think of quitting? Did that ever come up? You know, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised, but and and I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people would would not have have been involved in in, in or that uninvolved and stayed. That's um, what I'm getting. But at. the same thing with James because as soon as the record was done, they were out on the road and they were killing it. Mm-hmm. you know date wise and stuff and and then the record just started blowing up so so at that point i can see oh i think i'll hang in but prior to that yeah it does make you wonder um what her headspace would have been and, and james too to uh, and james is a sweetheart of a guy he was such a nice guy really cool he actually bought the mellotron that the studio owned because mm. he liked it so much um i don't know if he still has it but anyway he, he was a just a super super nice guy and darcy was too you know uh but Again, they had they had their issues they were having to struggle with. So. Yeah, no, and look, people are human, you know, and I'm not trying. That's why I don't want to. To me, I've done a lot of jackass stuff that if people brought up, I'd, I'd be more than happy to to laugh at. But so that's oh, kind of yeah. the way I'm looking at it, you know. Um, yeah, 
And, and you know, and I'd, I'd said just because of his preparedness and him knowing exactly how he wanted the record to be, if Billy could have played drums like Jimmy, he would have played drums on the on the record. Too. <laughs> but he couldn't because Jimmy's an amazing drummer. He's that 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 close to being Prince. I just need to be able to play yeah. drums. You know, I actually wanted to mention that. I think there, Billy seems to be someone who really understands music, if that makes sense. Like, he just, he gets, like, the guitar for him is almost like this is a tool I need to use. Um, but he's actually, yes. he's a phenomenal guitar player, don't you think? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of that lead break stuff, some of the, that solo in Cherubrock, just, I mean, it's smoking yeah. good. And uh, in in most of that stuff, we may have comped some, but for the most part, he's he's just a solid player. Period. His bass playing—I mean, that's him all of the record. His bass playing solid. He's a super talented guy. Um, the Mellotron stuff he played on some stuff on anything that has Mellotron. Yeah. We had uh, on the song, I guess it's Luna. Yeah, that that Mike Mills, the bass player from REM. Uh, I don't know how they knew each other. He came in and played on that, so that was nice. He was a a, a super good guy to hang out with. I liked him. He walked in with with uh, with a six pack, well, a five pack, because he'd already down one. Yeah. <laughs> Asking anybody wanted a beer. That's mm. how he showed up at the session. Mm. My kind of guy. Apparently, Scotties yeah. aren't the only ones who like beer. Um, uh, <laughs> again, my dumb beer joke. But but, but uh, the first time I saw the Pumpkins live was performing Cherub Rock on Saturday Night Live. And it was Billy's guitar playing that stuck out. And I'd already heard, uh, I, I was already a fan of Gish. And I, I'm not sure if I had uh, Siamese Dream yet or not, or, or if it was even out. But I was like, holy fuck. Because, you know, the, 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 there's this kind of like shift with uh, the grunge stuff away from kind of that guitar hero stuff. But Billy had a way of pulling it off that with also fitting it in that niche. Well, yeah, we that we I remember him commenting on that that, that what you just said about it kind of not being in vogue, but he didn't care. He could he knew what he needed to do, and he knew what what made the rounded the songs out. And it's like you know, again, that part of that song is, is about you know not following and 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 or people that do and and you know the whole shoegazer crowd and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, again, just he's a he's a just a super talented uh, guitar player and had you know uh, we really 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 worked hard on on getting guitars really fat and big like that and, and i remember him telling me at one point that when they were mixing it they went in the first day after alan Mulder had spent most of the day working on it billy says what'd you do to the guitars take all that eq off i like the way they sounded when we cut them <laughs> <laughs> so anyway but with tape i mean here's the thing about it tape is tape loses the high end like the first time you run a pass past it uh, over the head so um you used to we used to compensate so the long, more it sits the more it's going to start degrading it just does that's the nature of the beast so after four months or five months however long to make that record that you wow. know some of that stuff sat on tape for a while so i can add, imagine alan Mulder saying i gotta brighten these up a little bit yeah uh, is there any chance that maybe uh, Billy has some uh, low end deficiency in his in his hearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know because for him to he would be sitting on he did bass pretty much sitting on on some cabinet in the control room wow. and and would just sit kind of so you know cross legged right up his saying, ass and it's like more yeah more more well no it wasn't on it was mic'd outside oh but, okay, okay. But that was just what he uses a chair and I remember him sitting kind of cross legged and then he just kept saying more weight. I want more weight. Okay. Well, yeah, he's probably just knew what he wanted. I'm making a dumb joke, but uh, um, well, what about you? Look, when was the last time you listened to the record? Oh, it's probably been a couple years ago. Unless somebody, unless somebody brings it up, and I, and I mean, it's not something I just think about and grab. But whenever I listen to it, it, it I, I wind up listening to most of the record, even if I scroll through stuff, because it's, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty amazing record. I'm, I'm very proud of it. it you know, music has that way of kind of like when you hear it, it takes you back to certain moments and memories of when you connected with it. Does this actually, I mean, you were fortunate enough to work on it, you know, while, while it was being made. Does it take you back to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. It, take, yeah, it takes you back to, to even certain days doing whatever song, yeah. you know, some of the notable, notable songs you're thinking about. The, the last night when we had finished we had kind of had a playback party for some people, friends that they had made there, and and then we were going to have a, a party party, and it would lasted the whole night. Uh, at one point, Butch is playing drums, and 
um, friend of mine's playing guitar and I think Billy's playing bass and they're just jamming in a little jam room. And so, uh, yeah, I, re- I remember that party well, cause the next day, Butch says, I got to fly home. He's so hung over. Yeah. Oh man. Um, Jeff, this is, uh, you know, again, uh, so happy to have you back on, uh, great stories. Uh, did, do we skip over anything? Is there any, uh, song tracks you want to get into or anything in particular that you'd like to kind of highlight? Well, no, I mean, I, I think that, uh, um, like I said, Rocket's my favorite, and, yeah. and that we had a bunch of interesting pedals, and, and there's there's this kind of vibrato thing on there, and it was called the Vox Repeater, mm-hmm. and it, it was just, a, I'd never heard that that uh, that before, and, and it was kind of a one-of-a-kind. Billy probably bought 100 pedals in during that, and I don't know if we used wow. even half of them, but they were all out in the room, there were a ton of them. Mostly the big muff and some different different kind of phasers. The the micro synth was a big pedal that was used a lot on that record to make them. That's why some of those guitars sound like keyboards. Wow, uh, I Which, love that outro. Uh, I shall be afraid. Oh yeah, yeah. That, I mean, just yeah. This it's a good. It's such a, such a great dynamic record. It, it really does take you on a journey. I think. Just yeah, it's an, it it's an album in. from it's 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 sequenced beautifully too. Was that Butch or Billy? Uh, that I don't know. I, I would I would tend to say it was a combination of both of okay. them, uh, but probably pretty pretty. I, I'm sure Billy had a pretty good idea how he wanted things mm-hmm. to, to lay out. Um, I've never been good at sequencing records. I just say put the good stuff up front. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned that song "Sweet Sweet." It's kind of actually a bit of a throwaway tune, but when you yeah. listen to it in in the in the process of this album, it's perfect where it is. And it needs to be there. Yeah, it, ser- it definitely serves a great purpose. The uh, uh, what's the song that's that's really long and dynamic? Is it Silver Fuck or? Um, oh, um, uh, or yeah, it's Silver Fuck. USA, Silver, one of Silver Fuck. Yeah, yep. And, and so the, I mean, those are that's some amazing up and down dynamics that Jimmy's playing in there. That just uh, it's just. Oh, just yeah. top notch playing, just top notch. We probably didn't give enough praise to the playing that of, of his drums in this record, and it showcases him, but it, it never gets in the way. I mean, he just he has a great instinct. Yes, for, yeah. for playing for the song. And, That's always the challenge: playing for the song, not for the ego. And did you know that Courtney, Courtney Love says every song other than Space Boy is about her? <laughs> no, but I knew they had had a relationship yeah. prior. So. <laughs> well, I, I, all I can say is, Space Boy was written about Billy's. Uh, uh, is it his brother? It's his brother. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, everything's written about. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever Good. meet her? You keep thinking that. Fatter on the heads. You keep thinking that. Yeah. Did you ever meet Courtney? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Because they, they did the uh, they did the whole record live through this at that same studio. I didn't do it, but oh. but I, I, I was around a little bit during that and got to meet Kurt, which was kind of cool. But uh, okay. yeah, that's a <laughs> that was another movie for those poor guys that did that record. The uh. port, the two there was a duo that did it, and I remember she said one day she said, "I just want you guys to know you weren't my first choice for producers, and as a matter of oh, fact, you weren't man. even my second choice." Dear Lord, <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, she's uh she's a lovely lady. Um anyway, yeah. Uh Jeff, uh honestly, I really enjoy our conversations. Uh um at some point maybe we'll talk corrosion to conformity cuz those two records are freaking staples on this show. I don't know. Oh good. Yeah, that was a fun. That was a that's got some fun story, so. Yeah, Pepper Keenan is is uh kind of a hero for both of us. Oh yeah, I love Pepper. And, you know, and again, that was my second hardest hitting drummer was Reed Mullen. Man, yeah, just yeah. Well, oh, I'm sorry to hear he passed. Uh, what yeah. year or so ago? Two yeah, years. Some... Anyway, amazing player. And you made a great point. It's it's not just about hitting hard. It's about being able to do it and be right on time too. So, uh, I don't know for what it's worth. I mean, for for um, music nerds, I think they're going to get a lot out of what we talked about today. Oh, good, good. good. Glad to help. All right. Uh, thanks for your time, Jeff. You have a good evening. All right. You too, Jeff. Bye. Bye.
Jason. Hey, what's up, Jeff? You're always prompt, right on the hour. <laughs> Do you need a minute? I can call back. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, not at all. How you been? Not too bad. You? Been good. Been good. Staying busy, trying to. Well, that's good. Uh, the uh, the Eddie Van Halen nudes fucking crushing me a little bit. Yeah, that that one hurt. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a big deal. I, to be honest with you, I didn't know. I, I figured he was going to go early in the year when. All that was going on. Um, I, I kind of told my wife, I said, he'll probably be the first one that goes, but he hmm. wasn't. But anyway, just sad. Yeah. It, uh, whatever. Uh, did you ever, uh, did you ever get, get a chance to run, run across his path or work with him or anything like that? No. Uh, uh-uh. um, uh, my partner in the studio, Jesse uh, Dupree had, uh, had been the 5150 and, 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 uh, knew those guys from the periphery, but never, I don't think they ever played with him or anything either. So, um, I would have loved to have met him. Yeah, me too. What a talent. <laughs> what a talent. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I mean, he made it clear I was never going to be as good as him pretty early on, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I still found a way to be inspired by his, his music, so. And that's enough. That's what so many people have said. So I can't play like him, but I sure was inspired. <laughs> <laughs> it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 